Hello and welcome to the VR Download, our twice-weekly show. You've joined us on Hardware Mondays, so we're going to get into all the latest hardware news and general developments. And let's get into it. Heaney, uh, first things first, what is HTC teasing? What do you think? It's, it's hard to know, but I suspect it's not the Quest 2 competitor that everyone thinks, or sorry, that some people seem to think it is. And if we look at the, com- the interview that HTC's executive did, we see that he's talking about a standalone headset coming this year. And, you know, we have that on record. HTC is launching a new standalone headset this year. The question is, is that the same thing as this consumer-focused thing they seem to be marketing on Twitter and social media? And I'm not sure that's the case. You know, HTC is one of those companies where they're not afraid to have a larger product lineup than a simple one product at a time. And I, I don't think we're actually, I think a lot of the confusion here may be that we're looking at two different products. Mm. You know, I, I saw some of the comments out there from people in response to what HTC is announcing, and I think one of the one of the big questions is whether HTC has the money or the resources to do anything other than just iterate on the Qualcomm reference design. So every so often, Qualcomm puts out a reference design to show what it's uh, what's possible to do with their chipsets. Uh, I recently did an interview or, or was in a roundtable session with Qualcomm people, and they explained some of their chip uh, background. You know, one of the questions I had was, are we going to see an XR3 chip from uh, Qualcomm? And they clarified that uh, XR1 and XR2 should be considered classes of product out of Qualcomm. And if and when we see a new chip from Qualcomm that's geared towards VR AR headsets, it'll be like an XR2 revision 2 was the way it was worded to me. It won't be an XR3. It'll be XR2 revision 2. So it'll be like a, a higher speed XR2 is what we can expect. And that comment, I can't remember who I saw it from. I think it was on Twitter, uh, really uh, underscored one of those questions for HTC, whether we're just going to see kind of, kind of like uh, some recycling of some of the products they've already released uh, with a new brand, with a new name, trying to, to, to get out there and, and get some of those eyeballs. And that I think that goes to some of the confusion we're seeing over what kind of market they can really appeal to because they've been gearing themselves towards the business market, uh, I think because that's the only people that can pay for uh, the extra prices that, that HTC kind of has to charge. Any good comments out there that we should talk about? So so I'm looking at Reckoner VR here saying, you know, not competing with Quest 2 doesn't necessarily mean it's non-standalone. And you're right. And I, I don't think that's what I'm expecting. I, I expect HTC will have a, another consumer push in the PC space. I think there's more room in the Steam VR market than just Oculus Quest 2 and Valve Index. And I think I really think that's where HTC could be making its next consumer moves. So I, I think we're going to see Another enterprise-focused standalone headset, HTC already has such headsets, so just running on older chips. But I, I can't see HTC being able to bring the price down and deliver the content ecosystem needed to compete directly with Quest. And, you know, that's, that's what I read that comment as. But there's a lot of room in the PC space. Facebook is kind of myopically focused on this standalone space, and PC is a mode for Oculus Quest 2. 
HTC can build products for the PC from the ground up where they don't have to start every product discussion with, oh, but how will it work in standalone mode? So we we're kind of there's hints that they could be doing something to do with body tracking, maybe something to do with face tracking. But whatever it is, I do think we're going to see another consumer push from HTC in the PC Steam VR space. Yeah, of course, the price being the the ultimate question and how close they can get to Facebook is going to determine how big of a market they're actually able to unlock there. If it's $100 off, it could be a pretty big market. If it's two or $300 off just for the entry level, it could be a a smaller market there. I don't know. We're, we're going to see. And of course, uh, right before we came here in the studio, they tweeted out again saying, express yourself. That's the, the, the two-word quote on that uh, image with a hinge shown, some kind of a hinge device. I saw in the replies to the comment the point of uh, HTC having that mount that can go below the headset, pointing at your face, and maybe bringing some facial tracking into the headset. And of course, that would be a pretty cool thing to be able to do if you had a standalone headset that uh, also had some mouth tracking on it. You could, re- you really could express yourself in a way that uh, we're only simulating here with your your technology. So I think we should look at what HTC did to distinguish itself in the past. You know, when, when it was like for like competing with the Rift and Windows R MR headsets back a few years ago, we saw a wireless adapter. We saw trackers. We see this kind of push to add value with accessories that, that other company don't want to do. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, this image, it looks like a lip tracker. It, sorry, it looks like their previous lip tracker. It may be something else or they may just be hinting this is what we're doing. You know, we're going to give customers choices. They, they can buy our headset and then there's all these different other features they can add with accessories. Now, the question, of course, there is, can they make that affordable this time or is it still going to be kind of just out of the price range? But but that's what I would expect in terms of their strategy. I would love to see what HTC comes up with as far as uh, five port infinity. If they could somehow bundle a really compelling subscription program with a standalone device, that would be a differentiator from Facebook at this point. Facebook hasn't gotten that far of doing subscriptions with their headsets yet. And if they could really get some great content on a subscription pricing, that would be a really compelling difference. I want to say hello to Adam. Hi, Robert. Uh, Swap. Uh, Vexner. Jeff, thank you so much for tuning in with us, TechnoGlitch. Uh, is there anything else? Yeah, Vexner, we're going to get into the Zuckerberg interview. We've got two big stories up on UploadVR.com. Heaney and I were just writing them right before we came into the studio. You just scrambled uh, talk- in <laughs> Yeah, we'll get into some of those quotes later on in the show. Is there anything else to say about the the HEC at this point? Uh, not that I can not that I can think of. Well, well, All I right, would well, say- let's get in. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. These stories are kind of related, whether we talk about this now or, or, or at the time, you know, Zuckerberg's comments on his pricing strategy for their hardware is related to the reason that HTC does have to try and take these alternative approaches. And, you know, I like your idea of a Viveport Infinity subscription on standalone. So for those that don't know, Viveport Infinity is like HTC's PC VR store where you can pay a subscription and get access to these titles. The, the problem with bringing that into standalone is if you look at these companies like Microsoft with xCloud and Google with Stadia, and uh, well, Google's not a good example, but any of these companies <laughs> that do deliver these kind of subscription services, that's an investment. Microsoft has, has been very clear, you know, that with its 
uh, Game Pass, whatever it's called now, Ultimate, whichever the tier is that gives you the games with it, they've been clear that that's not making them money yet. That's an investment into the long term when there are a billion gamers and they can make money off that. HTC is not a company that can make those sorts of large billion dollar strategic investments at this point. They can leverage kind of the agility of being a small company near to the manufacturing base. They can use the fact that they've built up a lot of partnerships. They don't have to do everything themselves. But in terms of launching something sort of grand, like a subscription standalone service, I, I do think it's outside HTC's scope. Yeah, so let's let's do the, the Zuckerberg quotes right now since they are related. And uh, I've, I've copied them into my notes here, and I'm going to just read off a couple of these quotes that we've transcribed from the podcast. So the information did an in-depth interview with Mark Zuckerberg. I encourage you to subscribe to the information. They're becoming a really useful resource for us, uh, keeping up to track uh, track on everything. And uh, they get some really su- great access to Facebook executives. And this is, uh, I don't think we've actually seen Zuckerberg say uh, this much about the VR market and Facebook strategy before. So we're listening really intently to that podcast. And we've pulled out some of the quotes that the information was able to get out of Mark Zuckerberg. And here's one of them. So this is Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, saying, because of how hardware gets developed, you kind of need to know what your next three products are going to look like all at the same time. It's not like software where we're changing it every couple weeks. We have product teams spun up now working on the next few generations of virtual reality and what Quest 3 and 4 are going to look like. And here's the next one. One of the things I'm really excited about for future versions is getting eye tracking and face tracking in. Because if you're really excited about social presence, presence, you want to make sure the device has all the sensors to really kind of animate it, realistic avatars, so you can communicate well. And I love that we're using sort of the current generation, the very, uh, the very limit of what Facebook's able to do without those sensors. So Heaney's got uh, lip syncing tech in here so that our words are syncing up to our, our mouths really well. But it's guessing. It's more or less guessing at what our facial expressions would be. Um, all right, so here's the next one. On the VR side, I think the biggest things that we're very focused on now are how do you pack more sensors to create a better social experience into the device? To run each sensor requires more CPU power, and that generates more heat and creates all these different issues. Another one. When I think about where you're at with VR today, there's some pretty great games and different experiences, but I'd love to get to the point where you have realistic avatars of yourself and where you can make real authentic eye contact with someone and have real expressions to get refle- that get reflected on your avatar. So what do you need for that? Well, you need to be able to do eye tracking to do eye contact. You need to have some sense of face tracking or sense of what's going on with the person's expressions in order to be able to have those emotions come through naturally. Now, I've got one, I've got two more quotes here, and let's let's get into the eye tracking, face tracking ones first. Heaney, you are down in the trenches dealing with Facebook's APIs every day. Putting the headset on and off yourself must be hundreds of times per day to test out all this technology. How much better will this all improve as soon as we've got those sensors on these headsets? Well, I mean, I mean, it starts to bring it into a completely different ballgame, you know, because 
So, you know, as Ian mentioned, these current avatars, this is not my actual lip movement. This is a neural network that takes the audio from my voice and tries to figure out what my lips are probably doing. The same thing with eye tracking. In this scene, how the eye tracking works currently is every object around us, and you know, there's cameras here and there's a tablet here, gets set a gaze priority. So as your eyes look around, the avatar will look at things near to where I'm facing the headset based on the priority. So an avatar head is the highest priority. The hands are the next priority. But part of making eye contact can't really be replicated by that because it's an intentional action that it's very obvious that this that these eyes are not real eyes driven by eye tracking. And it's very obvious that these faces aren't. The advantage of social VR today, and it already does have an advantage over even video chats, is in things like the ability to use spatial audio, the fact that you're not confined to looking in a small little grid in front of you. You know, the person in front of you is, is quite large. It's, it's immersive to you, but it misses out on many of the important social cues. So if we can even get rudimentary eye tracking into these mass market products and even just a basic understanding of what a person's facial expression is, it really, it really brings it into this new category of technology where it can start, where these social use cases start to become much more than just kind of preliminary experimental ways to meet better. Because, because right now the main, the main way that being in social VR is better than Zoom is spatial audio, and to even build from there is is going to really be incredible. I think. Yeah, I was in uh, Hololens two earlier today. I was trying out Hololens two uh, again with Jamie, and we were using their mesh service, a Microsoft's mesh service. So Jamie has a HoloLens over there that Microsoft shipped him in England. I have one here in the United States. And we had a table, virtual table that was sitting between us. And the positional audio on HoloLens is really stellar. I don't remember if eye tracking was activated. I don't think it was inside our demo. But their hand tracking is really great. And then the positional audio, the ability to kind of look away from the other person and know where they are relative to me was really, really impressive in HoloLens. And it's it's really interesting to me to see here we are at the cutting edge of what Facebook can provide on a consumer level, as well as uh, we're also testing what Microsoft is providing uh, on a business level for, you know, $3,000 per headset or $3,500 per headset, $7,000 worth of equipment in order to have that positional audio experience. That's really impressive and lets me see the, the real, the, the room. Um, obviously we're a little biased here because we're using VR headsets all the day, all day that we really appreciate the, the focus that VR provides. You know, when you go into AR, you're kind of distracted by the environment but uh, there's really interesting stuff going on. And of course, yeah, James is mentioning that Face ID on the iPhone um, is uh, another way that this stuff is working. It's, it's going to be really fascinating when you can kind of hold a phone in front of your face and have someone enter into a space with us just animated from a, a simple phone. That iPhone sensor is one of the ways that VR headsets could add face tracking in the near future. The only problem with that sensor is it is quite expensive. If you notice, Apple doesn't put it in the low-cost iPhones. The I believe the cheapest iPhone with the Face ID sensor is somewhere in the order of $700, $800. You know, that mm-hmm. is the problem with those kind of depth sensors. That, that is kind of a way to get 
to get face tracking or, or even high quality hand tracking, HoloLens uses a sensor that is very similar to that, except pointed at your hands to get really high quality eye tracking or sorry, hand tracking. But it's questionable as to whether affordable VR headsets can put that in. It'll more likely have to be much more basic cameras that run computer vision algorithms on, on your face. So let's get into those last two quotes from uh, Mark Zuckerberg here, because I think they're some of the most revealing that we've actually heard out of Zuckerberg's mouth. I think he's made some of these comments elsewhere, but this is the first time we've really heard him zeroing in on the prospect for VR over the long term and the competitive advantage that Facebook is kind of setting itself up for. And it, it, it goes back full circle with HTC and really whether HTC is going to compete. So Mark Zuckerberg said, uh, in response to a question about what business model Facebook's going to pursue in VR and AR, probably the business model will largely be around those social experiences. We, we inserted social here because that was the context. Social experiences, kind of the apps we already build, building them and more things. If the app store ends up being meaningful, then great. But I think our inclination is probably going to be to try to offer these products at as low of a cost as possible in order to be able to get them out to everyone. So unlike some of the other companies in this space that basically charge premium prices as their business model, one of our core principles is we want to serve everyone. I'm very focused not only on how you create a good VR and AR device, but how do you make it so it's $300 instead of $1,000? I think that's a pretty big deal. And here's the final quote that kind of uh, mirrors a little bit of what he just said. I'm, quote, I'm pretty inclined to take whatever gains we could get from things like an app store and just use that to make the price lower. That is uh, some significant stuff from Facebook. What what are your takeaways from those comments? So this is Zuckerberg kind of setting out their business model strategy and kind of clearing out all ambiguity and just sort of doubling down on what everyone expected, but we hadn't really heard a direct confirmation from a Facebook executive. And so to be clear on what Zuckerberg is saying here is, they're not in this to me to sell you expensive hardware, make a money on the margin, and then make money in services. They want to get as much hardware out as possible, meaning pricing it as low as possible. And so we see, you know, a major part of Apple's business is its revenue from its 30%, reducing to 10% this year, I believe, cut on app store sales. That's Zuckerberg saying if that starts to become big for VR. He doesn't want that as a sort of primary re revenue model. He would just reinvest that money into making the cost lower. But this is the same strategy we've seen from Facebook throughout its entire life. You know, this idea of the, this service will never cost money. All we want to do is try and get it out to billions of people. And the question is, you know, he's, he's definitely pointing out Apple there, you know, in, in the contrast, Apple is the op opposite of that business model. They make their money on the margins on hardware. And that means they can afford to do things like design around privacy in a way that companies like Facebook and Google sometimes can't. But it does mean that a lot of people just can't afford the hardware. The question is, 
how will this kind of battle between Facebook's approach and Apple's approach work out in VR and AR? It'll be, it'll be interesting to watch because Apple hasn't actually had a competitor that does both at the same time. Apple's had competitors that are low cost. Apple has had competitors that are also vertically integrated, as in they own the hardware and the platform. But, you know, in my memory, I can't think of Apple ever facing a serious competitor that tried both at once. Mm. Yeah, that's a, a great summary. And I think we as journalists uh, try to stay as neutral and objective as possible. But uh, one of the things I always think about is Facebook kind of erased some of the ability to um, reserve some of my opinions off of the internet. Like I, 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 I went through different phases. I, I'm this person who's been on Facebook since right after they started rolling out broadly, right? So they, they started off on one campus and then slowly expend, extended their reach. And then you didn't, you needed a .edu address at the start to sign up for Facebook. And uh, I was I was right there at the start. And I went through phases of using Facebook in different ways. Like it was a college place where we put our drunk photos. Uh, then it was a place where uh, I'm, you know, 10 years later uploading photos of my kids. And I don't want those two personas necessarily to exist in the same spot. And I got to see this this progress with Facebook where they kind of always were pushing for Facebook to, for, for people to push more and more information through Facebook's channels. And it's very hard for me to have lived through that experience and still also keep my mouth shut on my opinions, even though uh, this company is the most, uh, I guess, most powerful company I, I would call them at this point in time uh, in VR. They're the most influential. They're, they're throwing out the most money and they're investing at the, the highest degree, perhaps close to Sony and Apple. That's, those would be the ones that could be competing with them as far as their investment. But we're not seeing those products come out at the same speed as the rest. And so um, all that to say that Facebook seems to view itself as a broker of information between people and a filter between people of information. And uh, that has real significant real world effects, if that's how Facebook sees itself. Now, uh, you can argue that uh, they're going to let you say whatever you want to somebody else as long as it isn't illegal, um, as long as it doesn't violate their community standards. And uh, as we're finding out again and again and again, there's uh, real um, flaws when you have to abide by a company's community standards. You know, there's limits to what people think they're allowed to think. Um, when you think that there is someone always watching you and what you're saying. And we say that as people who are using Facebook's APIs right now to make this conversation possible. So it's, it's going to be something we need to constantly come back to and really push on to make sure that um, we recognize the way people are allowed to speak or are affected by the idea that uh, there is going to be a reckoning uh, for what you say 10 years down the line, or there are people out there who are going to be reviewing your speech 
and making sure it abides by community guidelines? And is there a place for those conversations to happen that aren't on Facebook's platforms? Um, is there a more neutral, uh, open source way to have those conversations going forward? And I don't, I don't know that there is. Facebook is pushing for this enabling conversations that never would have happened otherwise. My question always goes back to what conversations don't happen because the technology has jumped in the way. And, and I think that's something we're going to have to constantly come back to. Any good comments in there that we should respond to? Let's have a look here. Yeah, people talking about data is the real money. Um, yeah, I, I think kind of what you were touching on in terms of community standards is going to be interesting as this platform turns from something you interact with in a tiny square in your hand or on a little rectangle on your lap versus a platform that people may, you know, kind of spend hours in, in the same sense that they might go to a physical venue. And, and I'm not sure that these sort of community standards, as they call them, are going to scale as well as standards for policing text chat or sharing images. Because when people are having sort of real human conversations or, or meeting up in groups or, or a club meets up in a in their own clubhouse in virtual reality in future, the, the standards around the world are not all the same as the standards in a very specific part of California. You know, what they call community standards are realistically standards for a very specific society and a very specific subculture within that. And I'm not sure that that's going to kind of mesh well with just how different human cultures are all over the world and how they might not match the kind of situation that Zuckerberg would even want to police. I don't think he quite understands what he's tuned off there in terms of what it's really going to look like to try and build a global community with the rich kind of technology of virtual reality and augmented reality. Mm. Yeah, some very big things to get into, but I going back to sort of competition, right? I, I I'm we saw it happen to HTC previously that uh, the Rift came out, it was not exactly cheap and uh within was it one summer uh past or or two summers where the price was cut down yeah, cut down to what was it, three fifty, I believe. Um, uh, three fifty, and then you, you, you've got this Sorry, chart that you've been. So you've got this chart. He's been he has been tracking this for a long time, and it's this chart that shows the share of headsets in use on Valve's Steam platform, and every single month uh, for the last four uh, to five years, the percentage of headsets that are facebook's is slowly increasing and now we're at something like 58 percent of all the headsets in use on steam are facebook headsets so that's rift rift s quest one and quest two are accounting for uh well over half the percentage of headsets in use on steam and then you add to that the fact that beat saber is probably the highest selling vr game in existence that is also owned by Facebook, and it is in the top sellers. And then you've got, of course, the platform that Facebook has complete control over, the Quest platform, where uh, nobody but maybe regulators could tell 
Facebook what to do on those platforms. And you have a multi-pronged approach where Facebook really has uh, dominance already at this point in time, 2021. And these quotes that we're seeing from Zuckerberg today are him telling us that he's thinking into the 2030s. He is, he's, that's how long-term he's thinking about VR and AR platforms. And if Tim Cook and uh, the CEOs at these other companies aren't thinking on that kind of time frame about how to get one, two, three, four billion people into your future hardware, Mark Zuckerberg certainly is thinking on those timelines and on those scales. And if uh, these others aren't, I don't know how they're going to compete. Yeah, the problem with the large corporations that may want to compete with Facebook in this space is Mark Zuckerberg saw this seven years ago. He, you know, Facebook is one of the only large tech companies that is essentially controlled by one person. If you look at these other tech companies, you know, we when people talk about Apple's strategy, people say Tim Cook for offhand. But if you look at the power that he has, he doesn't own Apple. He runs it. He is the CEO. He has certain responsibilities. He delegates. Mark Zuckerberg owns and runs Facebook. There really is no other human at Facebook that has anywhere near the power of Zuckerberg. And seven years ago, he decided to spend $3 billion of shareholder money on acquiring a little VR startup. You know, to most people, to, the, to his investors, to the other big tech companies, this was some weird VR startup. What is VR? Do we need VR? These are the kind of questions that were being asked at other tech companies during this. We know that as recently as 2017, Tim Cook went on the record to kind of downplay VR and say how you know, he, th- he didn't really see its kind of purpose in the product lineup. We now know Apple is working on a VR headset for next year that will have powerful, rich uh, mixed reality capabilities. But, you know, this kind of head start, and since 2014, since that acquisition, Zuckerberg has been talking in these huge time horizons. And, you know, you talk about Sony and Apple are the other companies that are investing on the scale of Facebook in VR and AR, but really neither of them are. It, It seems that people don't quite realize yet the sheer scale of Facebook's VR operation. Even the front-facing thing that we see right now, the kind of consumer near-term Oculus, that's only a small fraction of Facebook's VR workforce and investment. The majority on it is building this much more ambitious kind of future direction, including their own chips, their own operating system. Facebook does not want to be hijacking Apple or Google's platforms in the 2030s. It wants to and is putting in the billions of dollars to try to be its own player. How that will work out, if it will work out in the future, nobody has a crystal ball, nobody can know. But Mark Zuckerberg has been positioning his company for years to try and fight this fight. And so, you know, we really do need to see the the big companies that are capable of competing with Facebook step up in this region pretty quickly if they want to get onto the same kind of pace. Yeah, and I I think that's we have this issue where uh, I I've been sort of spitballing ideas. We we talk about these things for so long, uh, just between ourselves, of just what is going to create a compelling competitive package. Right on a previous show, we talked about uh, whether Valve and Apple really need to team up. I remember years ago I was thinking, you know, Apple should buy Valve, and I realized, you know, that's that's going to 
alienate all of their PC customers. They all, you know, millions of them will quit the platform overnight. That's not what the employees inside Valve really are going to want. Uh, so it's a non-starter even to begin with. But a team up, right, where they really are combining forces to uh, provide a more compelling package for everyone. Maybe that could work. But even so, you have to get, you know, every comp when you make friends or you know partners of that magnitude you're also competing with that company and i just don't know if these companies can ever really find the terms on which to agree right I, on, on which to like really go at this but I, I, the reason i bring that up is just every month that we goes back uh, one person here was saying that that chart is beginning to look like pac-man the steam chart that's you know slowly the sliver of things that aren't Facebook are getting smaller on the Steam chart. Each passing month, the need to have these team-ups and think differently about your business models increases. And I think we're getting to sort of like a, a very serious turning point here where Apple is going to have to think very differently about its business models in order to compete with Facebook on this level going forward. So uh, let's talk about a related subject here. The Oculus Android app has now surpassed 5 million installs. That is the app that's required to set up a Go, a Quest, or a Quest 2, and that's been downloaded 5 million times. What do you think we can take away from that number? Just to add one quick thing to the previous conversation, just, just kind of before we move on, I do think there's a lot more room to compete in the PC VR, Steam VR market than there is the standalone. I think if we're talking about competition in VR, you know, competing with Facebook in standalone requires either a massive company or a huge open source effort. Competing on PC, Facebook's only winning PC by accident. It's a link mode is a mode for his headset, for the, the Oculus Quest headset. If we see a company like maybe Decagear, if it works out, or maybe HTZ's effort here, or maybe even just another effort from Valve in future, there's a lot of room to push that sort of Facebook growing market share down, I think. I think we've really just, that's only happening in between kind of big efforts from the competition. But yeah, on the, mm. on the 5 million installing the Android app, that, that does kind of show where we're getting to in terms of the scale of this, because we reported just over a year ago on it hitting 1 million app installs. So for it to hit 5 million, if we include iOS, we're probably it probably means that between Oculus Go, Oculus Quest, Oculus Quest Two, and the Rift S, because the app did add support for managing the Rift S later, we're we're probably looking at five to ten million in total. Though many of those users may no longer be active. Yeah, active users is the thing that so, makes it so hard for us to talk about real user numbers. VR headsets very. We're very aware of this, that lots of people that get into a VR headset, if they don't have something really blow them away within the first few minutes, that headset might get put down and just not get picked up again. And even if you really enjoyed something, your usage might go down. It's just Gear VR and Go, those things didn't retain users on a very significant scale. We know Quest and Quest 2 are retaining users far more frequently. And I think people come back to their PC headsets uh, quite a bit. But it's still one of these things where lots of VR headsets just go into disuse 
pretty quickly. And that's another thing that Facebook is showing that it's willing to work through, right? They're willing to invest beyond uh, those people who just stop using their headsets. I wanted to call out one of um, one of the comments here. Let's go back to it. Let's see. Yeah, Smash Reality saying that this is all a step to AR. Facebook wants to create the type of AR devices you see in sci-fi movies. I think that is absolutely true. But maybe we need to go back here, Heaney. What do you think is different about the way Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg thinks about the value of AR and VR versus the way maybe Tim Cook thinks about the value of VR and AR? Are they related, separate? Do they build on each other? Are they independent? You know, Are we still going to be using VR devices a decade from now, or is it going to be subsumed by AR devices? So that's that's one of those things Zuckerberg was very clear about in this interview. And, you know, it kind of almost took the interviewer off guard. And I notice whenever Zuckerberg brings this up to any other interviewer, they're kind of taken off guard. But Zuckerberg was pretty clear in saying, you know, even in the long term, even once we do arrive at these science fiction AR glasses that may or may not be possible in the near term, people are still going to be using virtual reality in more than tens of millions, because these are completely different use cases. Because you have a smartphone and a tablet or a computer, as Zuckerberg pointed out, it doesn't mean you don't also go to your television and sit in front of your television for hours, either to watch a Netflix series or to play a PlayStation game or any of these other kind of rich, immersive use cases that last for hours. So when you look at other companies, you know, when they talk about VR and AR, VR is almost like this inconvenient thing they have to pass through to get to AR. And you know Zuckerberg and Facebook have pointed out that that is the case for them too. There are many of the technologies that once they're developed for the purpose of VR headsets will be directly applicable to developing AR glasses. But Zuckerberg was clear that VR is the destination to just as much for them as AR glasses. And it really is comes back to that TV analogy. Even if you do have this powerful, useful, portable device like AR glasses might be, what happens when you get home and you sit down and you want to have a rich, immersive experience that isn't, you know, hampered by all of the problems that are involved in making something less than 100 grams and fit on your face? And those kind of mixed reality capabilities that VR headsets are going to be capable of are going to be able to do things that AR glasses just can't. So I think, you know, people that think as much of the tech industry seem to right now, that VR is just this kind of temporary sidestep on the way to AR, or that VR is this sort of little niche kind of sub-market of AR, they're going to be proven very wrong, I think. Yeah, you you didn't even get to the things where like, uh, when we have the field of view expand uh, far beyond where it is, we've kind of gotten used to since this is eight years into so the resurgence of our field of view being about right here. Uh, let's see if I can get it with my hands. Yeah, field of view being about right here and right here. But when we get the field of view out really to the sides, and then when we get verifocal text so that our everything up here is really in focus and we're looking at things in our hands that are perfectly in focus, uh, then you've got haptic feedback from actually reaching out and touching things that are right here and feeling real resistance to those objects, those things 
should all arrive for VR headsets because they won't be useful necessarily for AR headsets. If you're going out there in the real world, maybe you do want to touch something that's you know right in your hand. But most of the time, the AR use cases that we're hearing about or thinking about is you want to toss a Pokeball at uh, a Pikachu that's hiding behind a tree that's over on the other side of the you know field. You're not actually trying to interact with near field objects. And so to your point, yeah, these, there's going to be very different use cases between these headsets. And we have yet to see these major, major advances for VR headsets that can dramatically make these just make VR headsets that much. You know, there's a gap here where we, we, we can look at HoloLens, too, and say, OK, the field of view is like here and here. So it's it's not quite matching what we get out of a VR headset. But what happens when, yeah, the yes, we'll get to AR headsets that can match VR headsets. But as soon as we do that, we're going to have the VR headsets at the next stage. And it's going to be this constant race of VR headsets being one step ahead of, of what we can get out of an AR headset. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, I was speaking to kind of even once we do get these magical AR glasses, immersive VR will still be relevant. But on the path of there, as you say, we're going to go through a decade where VR headsets start to get better, wider field of view, higher resolution. And where because they have high resolution color cameras on them, they can do much, much better AR than AR glasses. And, you know, by the time that, as you say, AR glasses catch up to this, VR headsets, again, will have jumped to a different level. So it really is one of those things where it looks likely that you may have one set of glasses that you take to go out to the real world and walk around and that is a port highly portable, compact device and a completely different headset that you put on when you get home. And a lot of people don't like that idea because they don't like the kind of inelegance of it. They want an, a device that can do one. But the problem is the laws of physics are just against it. If you want to make a device that is thin and lightweight and looks like glasses and can go everywhere with you, that is a very, very different set of engineering constraints and sort of alliances than a headset that can look like a pair of ski goggles or, or kind of that sort of form factor. Yeah, Smash, I think there's enough zombie games to last as a decade. I mean, I, I like that. That's that's funny because I, I do think that uh, a lot of people out there have zombie apocalypse fantasies. I can't be the only person who has thought through exactly what they're going to do when the zombie apocalypse happens. And when we have uh, AR headsets and VR glasses that you can take out into the real world, I know zombie zombie uh yeah zombie games are still going to be there um let's get to the next subject just to touch on one quick thing um so yeah. so smash reality you say the smart glasses are coming out uh or you say next year i, I thought you're saying this year so you know smart glasses can mean a lot of things the ones that we're hearing about coming from large companies may not even have a display system of any sort it kind of sounds like these are just going to be glasses that they have a camera on them so you can share experiences, maybe a microphone and a speaker in your ear so you can hear and talk to a digital assistant. But even putting the most basic display system into a pair of glasses is really, really hard and, and ends up being really, really expensive. You know, you know, a lot of people have this idea that AR glasses are, you know, obviously no one in these comments, but so, some people in the tech industry 
seem to believe that AR glasses are, are coming next year or the year after. And, you know, every year we get the rumor mill of Apple is about to announce its AR glasses and change everything. But it never happens because the technology does not exist yet. Facebook and Apple and Microsoft, and we think maybe Google now, are inventing this technology right now. And you don't go from inventing a brand new technology to deploying it into consumer hands in a sleek package in a few years. It, it will take a lot longer than that. Hello, Paradise Decay. Hello, Techno Glitch. I think you were talking to, to you earlier. Traveling Man, Onakazi, and James, thank you so much for the comments. All right, so next subject. Oculus Quest 2's 120 hertz support is not going to arrive until at least Q2. Can you explain a little bit about what 120 hertz will do for the Quest? And uh, are you going to be able to support 120 hertz in this studio, do you think? Well, I'll start with that one. Uh, currently, we're running at 90 hertz in this studio, and we should almost certainly be able to support 120 hertz. And I'll kind of I'll tell you the reason why we want to, and kind of the opposite of that reason is why other apps may not. So the Oculus Quest 1 is a 72 hertz headset. The Oculus Quest 2 shipped at 72 hertz, but has an option for developers to go up to 80 hertz or 90 hertz. And as we've been hearing in the past months, Facebook plans to add a 120 hertz support mode which we originally thought was going to ship this month based on their comments, but they've now set their priority to that for Q2 2021, and even their confidence is set to low, so it may slip beyond that. A higher refresh rate makes everything in VR feel more smooth. It lowers the latency. It can actually reduce eye strain if you're the type of person who would get eye strain in a VR headset after multiple hours. But the problem on a portable standalone headset like this is that it's a nightmare to get it to get an app running fast enough that it can actually support 120 hertz developers have already done an extraordinary job to even get many of these games onto onto these standalone headsets the oculus quest even though you know quest 2 is often talked about as 90 hertz most of these games do run at 72 hertz and even that is a miracle in many cases so we're not going to see large games support 120 hertz, but we are going to see the, the likes of Beat Saber, I'd imagine, the likes of Supernatural, apps that focus on kind of one or two core interactions within a semi-arbitrary environment, rather than apps that like The Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners, which are on the other spectrum. They, you know, they immerse you in this rich, detailed environment. Those apps aren't going to get to 120 hertz. In this studio, the reason we want to do it is is for hand tracking. The higher your refresh rate, the smoother your hand tracking will feel. Mm. Yeah, I'm loving these comments talking about it. Smashed Reality saying, I'm not 100% sure I notice the difference when I jump from 72 hertz to 90 hertz, if I'm honest. That's a completely valid comment. A lot of people have a really tough time knowing or noticing these frame rates. And it's to such an extent that plenty of PC people get locked into 45 hertz. And uh, then it gets doubled, you know, it gets simulated to 90 hertz and people come out of the headset feeling sick and not being able to know why, because they don't have that sense of being able to call out the frame rate being an issue here. One other thing that Heaney has, has pointed out to me that's really, it's related to some of the people here talking about how field of view being the thing that they want to increase. 
there's a relationship, isn't there, between field of view increasing and frame rate needing to be increased in order for you to feel comfortable? There's not much research done on this, but it does look like your flicker sensitivity is higher in the in the peripheral. But uh, you know, we need we need to look into that further. What I would say is, you know, to the comment of not being able to feel it, refresh rate isn't for you. It's it's for your subconscious mind to feel more in the environment. Most people can't to, tell. I'm gonna have to clip Most that out. That's tell, quite that's the totally that's fine. quite the quote from Heaney. Yeah, it's not for <laughs> you. It's for your subconscious mind. Well, it's to make you feel less sick. It's to make the environment feel more real. Even objects will feel more solid. If you think about the simple case of a rectangular object, as you as you turn the as you turn your head, the line will be accurate more if there are 120 frames put into that second of rotation rather than if there are 72. A more solid object is what you'll perceive. And so the valve index offers up to 144 hertz and the first time I tried that, I have to say I was I was pretty blown away because you go back to, to older headsets that can't do that refresh and you start to move around in these same Steam VR home environments and you actually you actually can see the environment start to slightly wobble. And it's very hard to go back from. I think we broke all of our commenters. They're all they're they're we've set them off with the subconscious talk. All right. <laughs> so uh let's get into the next subject here. Apple's VR headset is likely to cost around 1000 but the AR glasses are likely pushed out to something like 2025. Explain to us uh, sort of the – obviously, we hear rumors all the time about Apple. They go all over the board. A couple of weeks ago, we were hearing $3,000 for Apple's headset. Can we trust this latest number and how accurate do you think it is? Explain us, explain us the sourcing on this. So this this comes from Kyo, who is one of the most notorious kind of analysts in the Apple sphere. He has an accuracy rating of around 78%, which is actually pretty high when you consider that these predictions are being made about products years in advance. So to be clear, in case anyone's not aware at this point, we have Bloomberg, the information, and now Kyo all pointing towards a 2022 launch for an Apple VR headset that has color cameras for powerful mixed reality. What, we're, what we originally heard from the information was that it would be priced around $3,000, but Kyo is now saying it should come at around $1,000. It sounds to me that this, if you look at his exact wording, he said somewhere around a high-end iPhone. And if you look at some of the background wording in the information's report, they were kind of describing one of priced around one of Apple's higher end products. So it looks that some it looks to be that some original source has given a piece of information to one person. And when they've given that information to these sources like the information or co, there it looks like there's kind of been a little bit of mix up. I think we can pretty confidently say that the product that Apple is building here is going to be priced in the thousands of dollars. Because the other information mm. in, this, in today's report is that it will use Sony micro OLED displays to be somewhere between 100 and 300 grams. For comparison, an Oculus Quest 2 is 500 grams. The only, the only problem with micro OLED displays, you may wonder, why don't all headsets use micro OLED displays? They can be smaller, they can be high resolution, 
Well, they're very expensive. So I think if we're asking what is the specific component that makes it this expensive, why are we seeing a headset priced like this when Facebook is pricing at $300? It looks like it's going to be these OLED micro displays. Apple is going to make an expensive product, but one that from an experience perspective, if it really is between 100 and 300 grams, will blow the Oculus Quest 2 away out of the water. Mm. Yeah, and that's one of the other things that we zeroed in on, on Zuckerberg's comments, where they're, they're a couple of years into thinking about custom silicon work at Facebook. So building their own chips to power these headsets. Obviously, they're partnered with Qualcomm right now and using Qualcomm's chip designs to power the Quest, Quest 2, all some of their other devices. Uh, but to really maximize performance and to get every last ounce of everything you need out of these devices, you need to make your own chips. And that's what Apple is has been zeroed in on for, what is it, uh, 15 to 20 years now, uh, building towards their own chip designs. And just now are we seeing, you know, 15 years later. So the iPhone came out in 2007. And only now in 2021 are we seeing their PCs using their own chip designs. So it's taken them uh, uh, that long of building out iPhone market share in order to afford building their own chips into their PC designs. And we're getting great performance. We're seeing great performance gains out of that switchover. That's the journey that Zuckerberg sees himself on going into the 2030s. He's got to work for 15 years to get there. And eventually we will have Facebook chips that will go into these designs in order to get us to the glasses level of, of stuff. Yeah, these are super long-term investments. We know that Google wants to make its own chips for its smart home products and its Pixel phones. And it looks like Google's been working on that for five to seven years now. So these are staggeringly long-term investments that cost billions of dollars and can really only be done by some of the largest companies in the world. And we also know some big companies have tried these projects and completely failed. So Facebook could fail at its chip ambitions too. What Apple have pulled off in its chip department is pretty remarkable and it remains and will be one of their biggest competitive advantages in the VRAR space. This headset is not only going to be smaller, sleeker, and much lighter than Quest 2, it's going to be more powerful than Quest 2. And that's the advantage of custom silicon and why Zuckerberg is kind of himself trying so hard to invest in the, in the talent and money to get this to happen. Because it's not just money. It's an investment in really actively trying to seek out the best people in the world in these fields, because those are the ones you need if you want to build up an apartment like this from scratch. One thing I want to bring up when we talk about price, there's a lot of people that are sort of piecing together the price info. Um, with price, on, there's a couple of things that could be happening with price. But one thing I wouldn't discount is the idea that it starts at 1000 and has models up above 1000 So there's a chance that uh, more fashionable straps, uh, a high, something different in the device could actually take it up to a higher price more storage that's the way apple typically differentiates the low end and the high end and yeah you could easily see a one terabyte you could have a one terabyte apple headset that um goes up that high 
Let's see. We've covered all of our news. Does anybody have any questions out there? What does that just sound? Look through the comments here. It was an interesting sound. I was readjusting the headset strap. Oh yeah, I, I have only have the the simple strap, so I don't have the dial on mine. I can't stand that one. But but you know this kind of links into what Apple can do can do in terms of comfort yep. here. I think it's going to embarrass Facebook. I think it's going to out like in comparison. If it really is a hundred to three hundred grams, it's going to feel like a completely different type of object to to this. It's not going to feel like the same thing at all. I'm really yeah, you've you nailed it. And I, I would love a headset that feels like an air conditioner on my face. Like I think we that's one of the things we kind of forgive these headsets for is just even in a even in a cool room you still can come out sweating because of the heat that's that's building on your face. And if you can get a headset that's really breathing and really cool, uh, that's going to be, you're not going to want to put on devices that don't do that afterwards. I think it's really going to be like the move from CRT monitors to LCD. The, these kind of big 500 gram boxes on your face are going to just look silly in a few years. Oh yeah. I'm, I've, I've already... I I want to have I want to have a display case for all my old headsets and they take up so much darn space that I can't even think of where to put my old dead headsets that uh yeah I can't wait to have glasses that just sit so nicely. Seeing a few people yeah, Dennis, here say uh, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say a few people here are kind of saying that PSVR2 will dominate the VR market and I I saw a few comments about PSVR2 before. You know, we don't have any details on it yet, but we are also super excited for it. I think if you look at what Sony can do, certainly in the VR gaming market, Sony could be the biggest player because having that PlayStation 5 and the, the power that it provides and kind of the fact that Sony owns all the, the firmware and operating system on it, they can deliver a gaming experience that goes beyond what any headset with a mobile chip can do. So Sony should definitely not be forgotten about in, in discussions of, the gaming potential of the future of VR, but you know, gaming is gaming is a huge market, but it only does get to around in terms of high end gaming, a hundred million people. What these companies are looking at is to go into one or two billion people. Yeah, uh, Scrub, let's let's respond to your question here. It's a good question. Why do you think HTC chose to tease its new headset or just product in general in such a coy way? I think it's a very cheap way. It's very inexpensive to put out a tweet a week and let people piece it together and, and sort of build hype that way. Uh, you don't have to spend a lot of money on your marketing if you if you tease it that way. Do you have any thoughts really on that, Heaney? I hope they have something. I really hope they have yeah. something at the end here. I hope this isn't hyping nothing because, you know, you're right that it is a cheap way to build kind of hype for something, but that hype explodes in a bad way if it doesn't turn out that the product meets the hype, but if it does turn out they have a product here that meets the hype, and again, I, I suspect it's more in the Steam VR market than the standalone market, but if they do, it's I mean, it's a great marketing technique. And then Swap, where did the 2025 pushback on the Apple Glasses come from? That's from that analyst today, right? Yep, yeah, it's from sort of, again, Kyo remains the sort of most notorious Apple analyst. He's been making predictions like this for, I mean, I may be wrong. I think it's 10 years. I think maybe even more, something like that. But it's certainly, it's not, he's not some 
YouTuber or, you know, kind of these new analysts. We've seen this, this guy's has connections in the Apple supply chain. If you're wondering where he gets his information, he, he has a lot of contacts in the chains of the companies that actually build the components that go into these Apple products. But, you know, he, he, the interesting fact he said about the Apple AR glasses is that he claims there's not even a prototype yet. And that kind of backs up what we heard from the information last month and that they said it's still at the architecture phase, which is Apple's kind of product development phase before architecture. But again, again, none of this is surprising, and this isn't any specific problem with Apple. The technology to build the AR glasses that people want today does not exist. It simply does not exist. And no amount of hype or hope or speculative kind of reporting will make it come into existence. Only billions of dollars in R&D labs and years of hard work will make that happen. And that's what we're seeing right now. So the products can't come until the technology exists. Yeah. Uh, Smash reality. I love your idea. I think that's probably the way I'll go. Uh, Suggesting that I hang the dead headsets on my wall like mounted animal heads, once majestic and now dust collectors. Yeah, that's a good space saving way for me to to sort of remind myself of the the way we had it before. Uh, Another person asking, uh, will we see PSVR exclusives making it to PC? You know, we had that big feature over the weekend about Resident Evil 7 still being, after these years later, this amazing horror experience you can only have on PlayStation VR. And I, I really wonder whether we'll get some of that trading uh, idea that we, we, we had a couple years ago. Like, can Half-Life Alex go to Sony if maybe Sony releases a couple of its exclusives onto Steam? I don't know. Um, I very much would like to see those things come over. Let's see. Uh, yeah, the one comment I wanted to explain will end here, I think, is uh, explaining to people again. Or, yeah, so you have another comment, Heaney? I was just going to kind of say, uh, let me find the comment here. So Paradise Decay, you, you say, you know, from the tweets you've seen today, it looks like the new vibe is enterprise only. You know, I said this at the start of the show. I'm going to reiterate again. I'll put it on the record. I suspect that this is not one HTC Vive product. I suspect that we're going to see an enterprise-focused standalone headset and a consumer-focused PC headset. So, you know, if you see something about HTC, don't immediately assume it's all one product. We really could be seeing multiple announcements at once here. Mm. Yeah, and Jungle has another good question here near the end. Uh, Can we get a fashionable hybrid AR VR heads that will look appealing for outside use? You know, it's not just about the style of the headset itself. It's how comfortable people feel when they come face-to-face with that kind of device uh, and, and the data gathering it might be doing. Um, people really did not like Google Glass up in their faces, uh, and it was an awkward device to begin with. Um, you know, when can you get a device that makes it fun for the other people in the room to have someone scanning you like i I, that's such a hard thing that's why it's one of these other things that makes vr such a it's kind of one of the leads that vr has is you are going to be doing vr in your own home where you can control your space and not have to worry about the social stigma of going out there into the real world i think another problem would be you know if this is a hybrid headset if it's probably going to use a sort of vr headset display system where you're looking at the world through cameras in which case you're not going to want to wear that outside because 
if it fails for one second and you trip and hit, you know, it, it, you can't rely on a camera system for walking around outside. You need a transparent optic. But the problem is, if you've got a transparent optic, now it's going to be a terrible VR headset. You know, you could think of ideas where you can kind of put a blocker in front of it and it blocks the light, but it's still going to be a limited field of view AR headset. So, you know, people want a hybrid headset. They will exist in your house. You will have these VR headsets that can do great augmented reality experiences. But as to whether you can have the same device that you walk about outside and then come back in and kind of go into immersive mode, a jack of all trades is a master of none. Yeah, I, I keep seeing the suggestion that you will be able to put a shade on some of these transparent headsets to have a great VR experience, maybe, but uh, it's still, to, to your point about all the advantages the other way. I like Traveling Man's comment about putting a hammock in the corner of my room and throw the headsets up there like kids do with their teddy bears. That's funny, too. I like that idea. Uh, the thing I wanted to end on here is telling people to come to UploadVR.com for all the latest news. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe. And I also want to explain to all the people, uh, this again, the studio is made by David Heaney here. We don't always get him in the studio. That's one of the reasons we're not switching to camera angles because there's no one outside to switch to camera angles. We refer to him sometimes as Heaney God because when he exists outside of our space, he's looking in on us like he's God. So now I'm in the presence of our, of our own personal God. He makes this studio in Unity using Oculus avatars. And he's using his own custom filters for our hand tracking. It's why we have such high quality hand tracking that our hands don't fly off. He's, he's doing his own magic here. So we always get this question every week of uh, how the studio is made. Well, this is the person who makes it. And we're super appreciative. It's a great platform. And soon we hope to have the ability to cast media onto this TV from these tablets. So even when I join or regardless of who's on, we'll be able to keep casting kind of images and videos here. And hopefully very soon as well, we'll be able to automatically switch the cameras as people talk. So again, on these kind of shows where I'm in, you know, for, for clarity, Kyle just couldn't make it today. We'll be able to still provide all the same features going forward. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll see you in the future. Tune in on Thursday when we're getting into the games podcast and back with us next Monday for hardware and broader industry trends. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to everyone who watched.